is Existential, a podcast aimed at reminding you that it's okay to be human. We listen to human stories and human experiences, and we wrestle with issues of justice, faith, and culture. I'm your host, Corey Leak. Thanks for listening. Hello there. Welcome to uh, the latest episode of Existential. My name, I already told you in the intro, so I'm not saying it again because I already told you. So you have to live with that. I'm not telling you again if you missed it in the intro. You won't. You just want to know who, what my name is. Um, <laughs> I'm glad you're listening, though. And to those of you who are part of the Patreon community, hopefully you enjoyed the um, Zoom Zoom call that we had. And I'm looking forward to having more of those opportunities to connect with you. If you're not a part of the Patreon community, there's a link in the show notes for you to become a part of that community, to go deeper with us into our journey of deconstructing, decolonizing our lives. So yeah, that's available to you. Um, I don't think I have any other updates to give you at this point, but there's some stuff that I'm working on um, that I'm uh, hoping to make available to, uh, to you all soon. So stay tuned. Uh, Today, very briefly, I think, I say very briefly because I'm assuming it's going to be brief, but I've just got this this, um, thought I've been uh, wrestling with for some time now about something that I learned was important during my time uh, working at churches, going to churches especially uh, predominantly white, larger evangelical churches, there was this thing that like was kind of central to how they operated that up until like a couple weeks ago, maybe a week ago actually, I thought was fundamentally valuable to the world. And I know that you want to know what it is. Well, maybe you do. I hope you want to know what it is. Like, I'm hoping to, like, you know, cause some intrigue. This this right here is what I think speakers call building tension, right? Like, like you start leaning in like, oh, what is this thing that he's talking about? I'll tell you in a second. Do you know anybody or, or ever been around people who are like, like they'll give money or they'll like... Um, you know, certainly wealthy people that will just give a bunch of money or like anytime you go out with them, they're always paying. Um, but they're actually not nice people. Like they're actually not kind. Um, they can be harsh towards people for virtually no reason. Even sometimes elitist or people who like will give you something that you don't need but if you ever ask them for something you do need they won't give it to you you know like somebody that you know if if you've ever been in a desperate situation and you like needed grocery money or whatever um and you ask you know people who have the means to help you and they're like no but then like you know i don't know a month later they're sending you a uh gift bag of uh, trinkets. Why a gift bag of trinkets? Why could I not think of something other than a gift bag of trinkets? What What is something something meaningless that they'd send you in the mail, right? 
And I started thinking about like this idea of generosity and how people can participate in generosity while at the same time be participating in the subjugation or maybe subjugation is too big of a word, but the continued bondage, marginalization, affliction of other people. Like I started thinking about this, this generosity, like I started thinking about people who would give a lot of, give money, give of their resources to help starving children or help rescue um, human trafficked uh, victims who would give money to, to help all of these different causes. But they themselves would actually vote for or be in support of policies, practices, procedures that continue to create the problems that they're giving their money towards. And it's just been like something that's been like tumbling around in my head like clothes in the dryer. I don't quite know even what like, you know, what to say to do about it. Other than the fact I, I want to bring awareness to this idea of generosity as a potentially oppressive practice that when I have the means to give to someone else or some other cause or something and I give them my discretionary resources to help this thing or help this person without additionally being active in the dismantling of a way of being that creates the situation that I need to be generous towards I am actually siding with the empire to continue to help the empire advance. Now, where I see this um, play itself out most is the tradition that I come from is the Christian tradition, that it is very much a value of Christian churches, evangelical Christian churches, to be generous, to teach people to be generous. Be generous, be generous, be generous. And I'm, I'm completely open to, like, critique on this. I'm completely open to people, you know, you finding ways to contact me, however you contact me, especially those of you that are Patreon supporters for you folks. Um, you know, there's an open dialogue between us because we're in this together. Um, but anyone wants to sort of engage in good faith dialogue on this, I'm, I'm, I'm extremely interested. Um, but I, I don't recall any moments in what we're told of the life of Jesus and the things that Jesus said, where Jesus said, be generous. I, I again, I'm not, I'm not sitting here right now looking at the entire entirety of all four accounts of Jesus' life to confirm that that's true. Maybe, you know, some of you may do that now. Maybe some, for some of you that might be like, you know, the first time you pick your Bible up in a long time. Not that it's bad that you don't, I'm just saying. Some of you might now be like, oh, shoot, let me go look at my Bible to prove my Bible. My God, why did I just say that? Let me go look in the Bible to prove that Corey's wrong. 
which is fine, which is fine. Maybe I am. But I don't recall a time where Jesus says, be generous. In fact, what I can think of now is there's this time that Jesus is sitting outside of the area where in ancient um, uh, uh, Jerusalem, they would collect the temple offering. And there's this famous story of the widow's mite, which is actually what's interesting about the widow's mite is that the widow's mite is to some degree at the center of a lot of evangelical ideology around how they handle money. But the widow's mite story is a story that actually flies in the face of the idea that Jesus would tell anybody to be generous because he beckons his disciples over and he, t- and he, he highlights, he points to these people giving. And he says, look at this woman. She, her action, I'm paraphrasing now, her action was more significant than anyone else's. Because everyone else who put money, resources into this collective did so out of their abundance. They were all generous. They all tipped. They all took some discretionary income and they gave of their excess, they gave of their abundant blessing to help those who were less fortunate than them. He said, but this woman gave everything, everything that she owned. And it seems like Jesus is kind of like, you know, if you, if you take the story of Jesus seriously, what we are, what we read of the life of Jesus, if you take it seriously, there seem to be several moments in Jesus' life where he espouses this idea of giving everything. Like, I mean, if you've been to Sunday school or church, or maybe you haven't, there's another story about a rich young ruler who's asking Jesus the question of what does he have to do to gain eternal life? And Jesus points him to what every Jewish person would have, um, you know, known as the answer to that, which is, you know, to keep the commandments, to love the Lord your God and, you know, to love your neighbor or whatever. And this rich guy says, I've been doing this my whole life. You know, it feels like I'm good. And Jesus says, cool. Well, one thing that you lack, like, right? He says, one thing. You've done everything, you've met all the requirements, you've checked all the boxes, and you are living a life of privilege and wealth and abundance. But you're lacking one thing. And it wasn't to be generous. Like the next thing that Jesus says to this person is not, hey, give some of what you have to help the poor. Jesus looks at this man and says, If you will, if you want to participate in the thing that you're like asking about, if you want to uh, obtain the thing that you're trying to obtain, if you want to lean into, be swept up in the experience, in the the bigness that you are asking about, go sell everything that you have and give it to the poor. Everything that you have. There's this other story where those of you who've listened to Existential Sunday, this is probably about two, three years ago I talked about this. There's this other story where um, Jesus is walking somewhere, and it's another kind of famous story about 
a shorter person who climbs up a tree so he can see Jesus. I think it's because he's short, or maybe it's maybe it's just something I heard in Sunday school. Again, I'm not looking at this story; it's not in front of me. But anyway, this guy climbs a tree to see Jesus, and Jesus walks up to him and says, "You know, come down from that tree." <laughs> These stories are actually so funny when you think about it. Like the the real like basic kind of uh, way that they're told. Man's in a tree. Jesus walks up to him and says, "Come down from the tree." <laughs> Uh, maybe it's just me that finds it's funny. Probably am. No one else is laughing right now but me. Um, he comes down from the tree. Jesus says, I'm going to come eat at your house. Invites himself to this person's house. Maybe that's where I get this from. Maybe that's like, that may be one of the most Christian things. I shouldn't say Christian things. I don't really like that term that much anymore. That may be one of the most Christ-following, Jesus-following things that I do. I invite myself to people's house all the time. Like, all the time. Maybe not this aggressively, though. Like, Jesus is like, I'm coming to your house today. Um, and so, you know, Zacchaeus invites Jesus. So he wouldn't invite him. He lets him come. And at Zacchaeus' house, it's this interesting conversation about salvation. And uh, Jesus... Uh, Zacchaeus is, is having this conversation with Jesus and he, he's, he's feeling so overwhelmed by um, just the, what's happening in his home. This rabbi, this like healing, water walking, you know, like this, this just really, really impressive and um, monumental presence in his home that is having this effect on him that makes him want to change. And the change that he identifies is, I am going to make amends to all of those who I have robbed. Now, the thing we have to understand about Zacchaeus is Zacchaeus is uh, a tax collector. And in these times, a tax collector was um, someone from within the Jewish state, a, a Jewish, a, 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 a native Jew who was collecting tax from his own people in exchange for Rome granting him some privilege, some power, probably some land and some resources. And in order to do so, he would defraud people. He was dishonest in how he managed money. He was to um, Alexandria he was to AOC's point a billionaire that was not making a billion dollars but taking a billion dollars he was someone who was participating in an unjust system and benefiting from it and when he gets to the point where he wants to change his life where he wants to like go in a different direction after this encounter he has with Jesus, he says, anyone who I have defrauded, anyone who I have harmed, I'm going to go back and make it right. He doesn't go, I'm going to start being more generous with what I've made. Yeah, one more story. There was this one time that my daughters and I were um, at this Chinese restaurant in Oakland. 
and we were going out of town the next day and we were at this restaurant because we were going to a football game. And so when we left the restaurant, we were like, oh, we ordered too much food. And I was like kind of in a hurry, not really thinking about like, you know, what we should do with the food. I'm like, man, you know, we can't take it home because we're going out of town, so we can't have leftovers. And Amaya actually said, and she's always kind of had this um, this mindfulness about the homeless since she was like a little girl. And she said to us, we should take this and give it to homeless person. I'm like, that's a great idea. So we get it to go box and we leave this restaurant. And on our way, we get to the corner uh, down the street from the restaurant. And there is a homeless man standing on the corner. And I rolled down the window and I handed him the food through the window um, before the light turned. And as we're sitting there before the light turns red, I watch something similar to what I guess Jesus might have experienced when he watched this woman um, give all that she had. I watched as this homeless man beckoned over another homeless person to share the food that we just gave him with this person. And it struck me. Like it was something that I I knew when I saw that I'd never forget. It was one of the most beautifully selfless things I'd ever seen. And I think it, what this does for me and in the context of what we're talking about today is it's the contrast between being generous and recognizing that my liberation, my freedom, my um, survival is bound to that of someone else. And what this homeless man showed me that day was this sense that he felt like the food he had needed to be shared because he was in this situation with someone else. He was in this life with someone else. And so often what's missing from modern day generosity, especially amongst um, the evangelical community and and how uh, I learned generosity coming up in that community is that I am distant from the people who need my generosity. I am not bound to them. I think that is something that I want to, I want us to think about. I want us to hold to, I want us to, as we begin to think about generosity versus sacrifice or versus something else that I have not yet named or been able to name, this other thing that doesn't put me somewhere else or separate me from the person in need. It binds me to the person in need. And here's a question I guess I have for you. And this is on the heels of the conversation that I had with um, uh, Melissa Flora Bixler about her book, How to Have an Enemy. Is what are you, what am I any of us doing, participating in, that is actually disrupting systems, policies, procedures, ideology, that is afflicting human beings. Like, and I'm not saying this is not a talk suggesting that like being generous is, is totally wicked and that we should never use our discretionary income to help causes that we care about. 
um, because we should do those things. It's not saying that if we run across someone who's homeless, who's asking us for money, that we shouldn't give them money because we should. But this is raising a larger question about our participation in dismantling a world, um, a way of arranging a society where there are people with massive homes and people with no home at all. Where there are people with scraps of food thrown away each week that could feed an entire family and families who have no food at all. What are we doing about that beyond just being generous? And is our generosity a smokescreen that allows us to continue to benefit from a way of being, from a, a way of society being arranged, that allows us to continue to benefit while also feeling good about doing good things, feeling good about helping. I'm doing air quotes in case you were wondering. And this is something I've been thinking about. It's something I've really been like wrestling with and wondering about and like critiquing myself on and asking myself about like, yeah. And it was really interesting thinking back to the conversation with Melissa about how our, what we do for a living should come into question for anybody that's conscientious enough to like concern themselves with a better world, to concern themselves with like societal issues, which I think is all of us to some degree. I mean, I think part of the reason why we are arguing so much, why there is so much debate, why there is so much polarization, is because I do think there is a desire for some, I don't think it's for all, but there is a desire for some and for most people to arrange the world in a way that's best for everyone. And that might be a really ambitious statement because maybe I wonder if there's not more people who want to arrange the world in a way that makes them comfortable. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. But I do know that I think you should, and me, all of us, should continue to ask ourselves about the work I'm doing, about the systems I participate in, about the ideas that I support, about the ways in which I move about in the world that are contributing to someone else's demise. And this is a hard, hard thing to do. And it is something that like, um, we, it causes us to exist in a certain amount of tension because there's very little um, in a system that is predicated on competition and uh, outdoing the other person or other people or other business or the people down the street. Uh, there's very little margin for this kind of altruistic moral discussion because 
in some small ways, just about on a daily basis, all of us participate in something that downstream from us is causing harm to someone else. The question is not whether or not my actions, my footprint in the world are actually in some ways causing harm. Once the system's created and you're a part of the system, you are, you are part of that harm, which is the abolitionist, um, one of the main points of abolition is that it's not that there are, are not individual people inside of corrupt systems that are good, decent, moral, just people. It's that the system itself is corrupt. The system itself is doing harm. The system itself is designed and set up and built in such a way that it continuously and perpetually does harm to people. So when we're asking ourselves about our participation, our partic can I say participation? Our participation in harm, it's not one I think we can do with uh, a, a heavy amount of guilt I think it's something we have to do with a heavy amount of awareness. And to the degree that I'm aware of the harm and the alternatives ways of being that can eliminate or at least even reduce that harm, I should be thinking about how I could do that. Could I arrange my life differently upstream from the folks downstream that my life is causing harm to as I become aware of the harm it's causing? Yeah, I think I can do that if I'm indeed trying to contend for a better world. See, I think that was brief. I think that's all I got to share with you. Um, I appreciate all of you listening to this and every other episode of Existential that you've listened to. Um, I'm just really thrilled to be able to do this on a regular basis. Um, I'm grateful to all of you who subscribe to and to rate and review the podcast, all of you who are uh, connected with us on social media and, and share our content. I really appreciate that. And thank you to you, especially you who are part of the Patreon community for helping us to contend for a better world, one conversation at a time.